this is going to be a process to, you know, include larger vessels later on down the road, but we will build a float that will attach to the existing structure that we have right now. Tonight on the KRBD Evening Report, two Native corporations are partnering to add Klawak as a cruise destination, an affordable housing project in Juneau is being stalled by the city, and a federal class action lawsuit claims the state failed to address known problems with the foster care system. Those stories and more coming up. First, a look at the local weather. Mostly cloudy skies tonight with isolated rain showers, lows around 40 degrees and light winds. Mostly cloudy skies Tuesday with highs in the mid-50s, southeast winds to 10 miles per hour. Mostly cloudy skies Tuesday night, lows in the mid-40s and light winds. Mostly sunny skies Wednesday with mostly cloudy skies Wednesday night, highs around 60 degrees, lows in the mid-40s, northwest winds to 10 miles per hour. You're listening to the KRBD Evening Report. I'm your host, Maria Dudzak. The Klawak Hina Corporation is partnering with Huna Totem Corporation to bring large cruise ships to the community of Klawak on the west side of Prince of Wales Island. Mary Edenshaw is Chief Operations Officer for Klawak Hina, the village native corporation for Klawak. She says small cruise ships have docked at the city float previously. The larger ships will tie up at an existing dock on Klawak Island owned by Klawak Hina. It was used in the past for export uh, logs and the the huge log ships that would come in, they would dock there. And so we're going to convert that into a cruise dock port. She says Huna Totem Corporation reached out to Klawakinia, wanting to add the community as a destination along the lines of Icy Strait Point in Huna, which Huna Totem also owns. Eden Shaw says the plan is to start out small with ships that carry between 500 and 700 passengers. This is going to be a process to, you know, include larger vessels later on down the road, but we will build a float that will attach to the existing structure that we have right now. She says some cruise lines have already agreed to add Klawak to future itineraries, but because plans are still under development, Edenshaw did not give additional details, other than that the first ships will arrive in Klawak in summer 2023. An affordable housing project in Juneau is being stalled by decades-old hazard maps and city permit woes. The Glory Hall runs Juneau's homeless shelter and plans to convert its former building into seven housing units. The city denied construction permits for the job because it says the renovation would increase density in an avalanche hazard zone. Mary Alice McKean is an attorney representing the nonprofit group in its appeal. She says the city's density argument hinges on the number of units rather than the number of people. This is an irrational, arbitrary, and unreasonable basis to deny a building permit for this project. It doesn't show it increases density because the prior use was one large dwelling with a lot of people. The building housed around 50 people a night as a shelter. As apartments, it will house up to 14 people. The city's development department refused to comment while the permits are in the appeals process. Maria Lobishuk is the Glory Hall's executive director. She says people across the socioeconomic spectrum need housing in Juneau. I mean, it's really a black and white issue to me. Juno has a housing crisis, and we are trying to add more housing units. 
and it's critical. Every single unit counts. The city has acknowledged housing as a top priority in its comprehensive plan. McKean says that's legally relevant because the city's development department can choose to interpret city ordinance in favor of housing. The Planning Commission will hear the Glory Hall's appeal on May 24th. A new federal class action lawsuit filed against Alaska's Office of Children's Services asserts that the state is failing children in foster care. As Alaska Public Media's Wesley Early reports, Lawyers for the plaintiffs claim the state has known about widespread foster care problems for years, but hasn't addressed them. In a 90-page complaint filed Thursday, attorneys for 13 child plaintiffs allege the state is failing foster children in a number of ways, including high caseloads for case workers, high caseworker turnover, few adequate foster homes, and a lack of adequate support for placing foster children with family members. The plaintiffs are represented by a group of attorneys, including A Better Childhood, a New York-based advocacy nonprofit focused on foster care. The group has filed a number of class action lawsuits in other states, including Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Indiana. Marsha Robinson-Lowry is executive director of A Better Childhood. She says Alaska isn't the worst state when it comes to meeting federal requirements, but it's far from the best. So Alaska is fifth worst um, in returning kids to their family homes and seventh worst in this in the country, um, I think, on uh, the frequency which with which um, children are visited, which is a federal mandate. The State Department of Health and Social Services and OCS are listed as defendants in the complaint. Officials with the state agency say they haven't been served with the complaint and can't comment on the case, but said in a statement, quote, what we can say is that the state takes its obligations for reunification of families, foster care, and the health and welfare of all Alaskan children very seriously, end quote. The complaint says the problems in the state's foster care system are widespread. It says the system is causing particular harm to Alaska Native children, who make up roughly two-thirds of all Alaska children in foster care, despite being a little over a fourth of the state's population. Under the Indian Child Welfare Act, or ICWA, child welfare agencies are federally compelled to work as hard as possible to house Native foster children with their families or with their tribes. The complaint details numerous stories from the plaintiffs that highlight alleged problems with the state's child welfare system, including five Alaska Native siblings who hadn't been placed in homes that complied with ICWA, a boy with ADHD who had been moved to seven different homes since April of last year, and a 16-year-old girl who reported she was sexually assaulted at a mental health treatment facility she was placed at hundreds of miles from her home. The complaint also says the state isn't doing enough to address foster children with disabilities. Lowry says another issue is sometimes when kids are placed with family members, the families aren't licensed by the state as official foster parents and don't receive the funding and support that comes with that licensing. And the children either struggle along um, without adequate uh, money available for their food and clothing and other activities, uh, or the foster parents basically break under the pressure and the kids get moved out and move to another placement and another placement and another placement. Lowry says the plaintiffs hope their lawsuit results in the Superior Court ordering the state to take a number of actions, including reducing caseloads for foster care workers. Currently, caseworkers sometimes have three times the national average number of cases, and turnover is roughly 60 percent. So there's a lot that has to be done with regard to caseloads, and the state has to develop more and better foster homes. At the same time, the state needs to provide services so that kids can return home more quickly or 
if that's not appropriate or safe so that kids can be adopted either by relatives if possible um, or uh, other people as well. There are roughly 3,000 children in the foster care system in Alaska. Reporting in Anchorage, I'm Wesley Early. Uligan, the small smelt fish known in Clinket as sock, has returned to the upper Lynn Canal, marking a celebration of spring. The nutrient-rich fish is essentially for subsistence culture and marine life. As KHNS's Corinne Smith reports, a long-term research study is tracking the fish's populations across southeast Alaska to better understand and protect the species. Meredith Pokar walks across the mud flats at the mouth of the Chilkoot River, headed to the water. There are some signs of spring, with shorebirds circling and the sun warming through a light layer of fog. But the Yulikon run, known as sock and clinket, candlefish or hooligan, are largely missing. Yeah, it's a little disconcerting that this is the second year in a row that we haven't seen a run materialize on the Chilkoot River. We saw a few days ago, we saw a small school of fish move in. There's a lot of activity, and it looked like, you know, there's going to be a bunch more fish that came behind them, and, um, yeah, we just didn't see them. Pokart is here every day before and during the spring run from mid-April to mid-May. She's the lead researcher with the Chilkoot Indian Association's Regional Monitoring Project for the fish population. The first telltale sign of the spring run is the sound of the gulls and seabirds overhead and the seals and sea lions and sometimes orcas in the water. Another method is gathering DNA. There's currently no no fish in the Chilkoot River, but we'll still take samples and see if you know maybe some came in last night and spawned, or maybe there's some DNA around that we can still pick up from the samples. Pocard fills two large bottles with water from the estuary. Those samples will go to a lab in Oregon to analyze the environmental DNA, engage fish populations, ecology, and distribution. The research project launched in 2010 after an alert went out along the West Coast that the Yulikon populations were in steep decline. They were labeled endangered in the waters off of Washington, Oregon, and California. It's not only a spring food source for Clinket communities, but also important for medicinal, cultural, and social well-being. Longtime Haines resident Philip Jackson described what the spring harvest was like on the Chilkat River when he was growing up on a recent morning with KHNS's History Talk. We'd used to go up to Clock One, you know, he had a big old travel hall, and he'd get the elders and all that, you know, and they'd come down and... Oh, yeah, he used to spend a whole day with us, and they'd be singing and dancing, you know, and and them dipping their crackers into the in the pot, you know, and get the meat out of there and eat it, or dip it in the oil and eat that, you know, with crab pilot bread. It was always so much fun, you know, and hearing the elders talking and clinking it and telling jokes and giggling and laughing was the utmost for me. No Yulikon in the Chilkoot River isn't necessarily a bad sign, when and where the small smelt fish run from year to year can vary quite a bit. Pocart says there is a run in the Chilkat River this year. Dozens of residents were out with nets over the weekend harvesting Yulikon for oil and smoking. A spring run was spotted in Skagway too. Reuben Cash is the environmental coordinator with the Skagway Traditional Council. Starting on May 1st, uh, we went from you know, a couple of hundred gulls down at the at the Tyre River in Dai to several thousand. We saw sea lions coming cruising up the inlet. 
heading that way. I guess there was a humpback whale in the inlet, so lots of activity. Cash is also collecting water samples for DNA analysis in the Taya and Skagway rivers as part of the regional initiative. I've heard reports that the the way that the that the runs will usually work is there will be kind of some scouts that will go up before the main bulk of the fish will arrive, and however they're able to communicate it with the rest of the of the colony of fish. Um, if the scouts are, are able to successfully find a place, then the fish will enter the river and the, the run will kind of increase from there. He says the cruise ship season may also have impacted the runs. And because they are, they, they have an aversion to, to noise, they really don't like loud things. Um, we've, we've seen that in some other rivers around southeast when there's a lot of noise activity. The, the fish will, will just switch rivers. So my thought is that perhaps the scouts were coming up, checking out the Skagway River, and then activity from the tourist season just got to be too intense, and so they abandoned the Skagway and perhaps went to the Taya, um, or or they may have just turned around altogether up here. It's hard to say until we see numbers come back from the lab. Results from the DNA sampling will help tell the story later this summer. Haines-based researcher Meredith Pokart will be analyzing results from the area rivers and the Eunuch River near Ketchikan and comparing observations with communities in British Columbia. And hopefully this year they'll have a better understanding of this important fish species. In Haines, I'm Corinne Smith. That's all for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Maria Dudzak.